welcome to episode 13 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn Thompson-Rule and before I introduce today's guest, I just want to remind you that we have the Women in Fitness Summit on the 27th and 28th of October, which I'm so excited about. Um, You can find more details on my website, jocelynthompsonrule.com forward slash Women in Fitness Summit. Okay, now to my guest. Today, I speak with the amazing Dr. Jenna Machocki. Jenna is amazing. She's an immunologist. She's been studying immunology for 20 years, so knows all the things. And she has a particular interest in diet and lifestyle and how that affects the immune system. I just loved speaking with her during this recording. She just knows so much and I feel like I want to get her back on the show about another five times just to cover all the other things. So I really enjoyed speaking with her. I really hope you enjoy listening to the episode. Um, Jenna's also speaking at the Women in Fitness Summit on day two, Sunday the 28th of October, and she's going to be part of the Women's Health Clinic along with Dr. Anita Mitra, a gynecologist. So I'm very excited to hear the two of them speak. But until then, enjoy the show. Jenna, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No, I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> and you're going to be at the summit too, which is I know, even better. fantastic. It's just right <laughs> the so corner, isn't it? That. I know, I know. Don't say that. that that's too worrying <laughs> for me. I've got too much to do. Just tell people a little bit about yourself and then we'll go from there. Okay, so yeah, my name is Jenna. I am an immunologist. Uh, for those that don't know who what that is, it's basically someone who studies everything about the immune system. So my journey into immunology started almost 20 years ago. Can't believe I'm saying that when I uh, <laughs> first went off to um, university to um, study immunology uh, at the medical school in Glasgow. So I'm originally from Scotland. I grew up in um a farm in rural Scotland. Uh, and yeah, so I went to university to do this thing called immunology, didn't really know what it was about. And I'd suddenly thought, oh, I found my people. This is, this is it. It's basically everything about the immune system. And I've just been addicted ever since to just exploring more and more how it weaves into every part of our health and well-being. Amazing, amazing. And so how is it? So obviously your, what's your, are you, in, in terms of your work, are you working with clients? Are you researching? Are you educating? What are you doing? Yeah, so I've had uh, various different roles over the years since I first um, got my degree. I uh, worked for a while in infectious diseases at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. I then did a PhD at Imperial College, and there I worked on chronic inflammation, allergy, allergic disease, and healing, and um how the immune system's involved in in the repair process. And then I sort of took a turn towards clinical trials and I went to work for um, a biotech company who were trying to, I quite like the approach that they were, they were trying to uh, retrain the immune system to stop responding to allergens. So it was um, clinical trials where you're giving people a little bit of an allergen to retrain their immune system to tolerate it. So this was when I first started to think, um, moving away from thinking of the immune system as something that 
protects us from infection, which was primarily my initial training. And that's primarily how the immune system was discovered. So we always think of it as being the thing that protects us to infection. And actually thinking of it as something that does so much more in the body. So it's responsible for um, all sorts of non-infectious lifestyle related conditions, healing, um, damage repair. It's actually our main cancer surveillance. And we've become quite aware of it when it goes wrong, when we get an allergy or an autoimmune um, condition. But it's also a proxy for a lot of lifestyle related diseases. So this really caught my interest and particularly the role of, of diet and lifestyle in the immune system, which at that point was something that wasn't really well understood in the uh, literature. And so I, after I finished the, the clinical work that I was doing, um, this was with a biotech in Spain, I ended up moving to Switzerland and I got um, a fellowship there to start researching nutrition and the immune system. And this was where I was really like, this is exactly what I want to do. This is everything. So interesting. And I was there for about eight years uh, and I stopped only when I got pregnant because I, yeah, couldn't keep up the pace of working that much and being a mom and I just wanted to have some time with my kids. So Yeah, because you have not one but two. You've got twinnies. Two, yeah, <laughs> twins, two at once. So a uh, very efficient way to do things, but yeah, really yeah, intense. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, amazing, amazing. Okay, so tell me then a little bit more about – um, so number one, I can't believe that there, there wasn't, you know, as much information out there about diet and lifestyle and how it affects the immune system. Um, it's crazy to think that that wasn't that long ago. Um, and but also then what were your what were your sort of main findings? I know that when we've spoken before briefly um, that you were, you, you know, you talked about there's a lot of myths around um you know, the immune system and what people should and shouldn't do. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's something I get asked all the time is that question of how can I boost my immune system? And I think people have moved away from, uh, you know, vitamin and mineral supplements as something to take because you have a deficiency. Like many years ago, we'd see people with vitamin deficiencies. Um, you'd see things like beriberi and... Um, you know, rickets and overt disease caused by vitamin deficiencies. And that led to a lot of the work many decades ago that established what the recommended daily needs are. And we don't see those conditions anymore because uh, particularly in the UK, people can quite easily get what they need and, and the, the recommended daily uh, needs for different vitamins and minerals. But now we're in a state where people are like, can I take more to make my immune system better? And, um, I think that the answer is generally no, like you can't make your immune system work better than it does at baseline unless you have a particular condition. Um, and I think the field didn't really move on from that for a long time. It, we just knew that if you don't have enough vitamin C, this can impair how, you know, the immune cells are, are responding in terms of uh, when you get an infection. But now uh, we start to, I started to explore the role of other aspects of nutrition. So I was particularly interested in what was happening in the gut and looking at, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, if you think about where most of the, the ways that we're going to get infected are going to be through the skin, through the lungs, through the gut, all these sort of vulnerable um, 
barriers that we have to the outside world. And I always found the gut a really interesting place, particularly with the huge uh, microbiome. So the huge burden of of um, bugs that we have already living there, but every day we're we're eating things, we're swallowing things, we're taking in a whole load of what are essentially potentially things that the immune system could respond to, but for some reason they don't. And we know that there's really particular ways that the immune system has evolved to tolerate a lot of what we take in, to tolerate the the bugs in our digestive tract. Because the bugs in our microbiome that live in the gut are like, they, they contain the same molecular patterns as bugs that make us sick. So the immune system has to be able to differentiate why do we not respond to some things, but yet when you get, you know, a salmonella infection, you respond to that that infection. And even though a lot of the triggers on these bugs are similar. So I just became quite interested in that. And it actually led me to look at um, leaky gut, which I think is one of those things. I think if you put it into Google, you'll find that it's sort of a, attached to being the cause for all manner of problems in the body. Uh, and Actually, leaky gut is a normal physiological response to eating. So this was the first thing that I found quite interesting. So when you eat a meal, your gut will transiently become leaky and this lets a lot of things through. It's it's kind of like a bit of collateral from the digestive process. There's always a bit of give and take in life. You know, you've got one function happening and sometimes there's like a fallout from that. Um, and certain things in the diet can exacerbate this. So for example, we know that um, high fat diet, so particularly saturated fat, really seems to open up the gut barrier and also fructose. So fructose also seems to have this role where it really opens up the barrier. Um, and that might send alarm bells off. I mean, because every day in the, in the media, we're bombarded with what we should and shouldn't eat. And high fat is bad, high fat is good. It's, you know, a very confusing picture. And I think the important thing to remember is that it's a physiological normal response. There's other things in the diet that shut the barrier up again. So if you're having, you know, if your meal is made up of a variety of food groups, it's going to be okay. You know, you can open the gut and you're going to shut it all within a short window. And whenever anything happens in an acute setting, then it's not causing too many problems. So the things that are really good at shutting the barrier up are um, fiber and phytonutrients. So these are plant-based chemicals um, that we find in all manner of colorful fruits and vegetables. And these for me are like two of the key things for um, keeping the barrier integrity. So having a variety of different plant fibers uh, and phytonutrients, these are going to shut the barrier up. And why I think it's important to point out what the problem is with having your barrier of the gut being open. Because we have so many bacteria living in the gut. When it's open, there's a possibility for the bacteria to go through and into the bloodstream. And that is when it becomes a problem for the immune system. So when they're contained within the middle of the gut, they're fine. That's where they're supposed to be. But as soon as they cross over and go somewhere else in the body, it sends out alarm bells to the immune system that this is not um, where they should be. And it would trigger an inflammatory response. And we now know that um, 
inflammation is um, the key driver of a lot of uh, health-related problems in the body. In fact, when they start to look at aging and the, all the different parameters that are involved in the aging process and longevity and health span, inflammation seems to be the key driver above everything else of um, the aging process. So the work that I was doing in, in Switzerland was, was looking at how fiber and the microbiome are involved in regulating this barrier integrity of the gut, opening the barrier, making it leaky and shutting it again. And what sort of like time frame? So you said that that was like a it's a, it's a really short time frame in, in which that happens. So how, how kind of short are we talking? Yeah, I think you see this uh, permeability, the opening of the gut happening in around the four hours post eating. So depending on the size and the contents of the meal, within about one hour, you can see in the blood that um, there's markers that the gut is leaky. And then by about four hours, it's gone back to normal. And again, that's sort of an estimate depending on what you're eating. But one of the things that my work kind of evolved into was was thinking about meal frequency. So I don't know if you've read any of the, the work that's sort of coming out of um, the Salk Institute in the US looking at the circadian rhythm and circadian biology. And so that's coming from what institute, sorry? the It's called the Salk Institute. So they're a big research institute in California. And how's that spelled? Sorry, Jenna. S-A-L-K. Salk Institute. Okay. And there is a researcher there by the name of Sachin Panda. So he's really pioneered this idea of um, uh, circadian rhythms and how it affects our biology. So I started thinking about this in terms of the immune response. He had this, uh, he's published a lot of work showing that if we eat in tune with our circadian rhythm, so during the daylight hours when our body is primed to be metabolically active, this is a lot better for things like the insulin response, um, the lipid response in your body and how your body is dealing with a meal, opposed to, say, for example, shift workers who are maybe eating uh, during the night. Uh, and they see much more exaggerated responses to the same food groups. And this is regardless of, of eating more or less calories. Um, and so some of the work he'd done was getting people to use a smartphone app and track like how many times a day they were eating and what they were eating. And he published this work that showed that we actually have gone from uh, a pattern of eating where we eat within a set window, maybe 10 hours of the day, three times a day, to eating quite constantly for up to 18 hours a day. And so I started thinking of this in terms of, yeah, in terms of my own research, whereby I was thinking, well, if every time you're eating, you're getting a really acute postprandial inflammatory response, then um, if you're eating all the time for like a huge part of the day, then you're increasing that inflammatory load, which we know could cumulatively over several years precipitate in age-related diseases. So that's kind of where I got to um, before I moved back to the UK. And that's what I'm just sort of starting to pick up again now. So I'm currently at the University of Sussex down near Brighton. Okay. And, and really interesting, actually, that you should say that because um, uh, a podcast that I recorded, I, I think it was one of the, I think it was the second one that I did. And that was Keris with Keris Marsden of um, Fitter Food. And, and we were talking about meal frequency 
And her point was, uh, and she had a really good analogy for it, actually, she sort of, um, or she she felt that you should eat um, every kind of maybe four to, to five hours. Um, and, and I don't know how that works now in the winter hours, but we can get to that. <laughs> but yeah. um, but um, she was, she was, she sort of likened it to if you were getting, um, let's say, an online uh, food shop and Mr. Whoever comes and delivers your food. Um, and then an hour later, you get another delivery. An hour later, you get another yeah. delivery. An hour later, you get another delivery. So you're constantly... <laughs> putting this freaking shopping away um, yeah, and you can't yeah. actually get on with the other stuff you need to do, whether it's your work, whether it's vacuuming, yeah. whether it's washing, whatever. And so, and she, and she spoke about that in, in, in the body's processes. So if you're constantly digesting, and then of course, then as you're saying, having this inflammatory um, response, uh, then your body actually can't do all of, or get on with all of its other processes. Um whilst that's whilst that's happening um and i had another um just quick question because obviously um you know i've always heard of like leaky gut syndrome being like a a thing and what you're saying is is that you know this happens every time we eat are there cases um in which this becomes um more of a problem so you know let's say you know you're talking about um fructose you're talking about um diets that are high in saturated fat and of course I know that's you know the, the saturated fat thing continues to you know reign supreme in the media yeah um, I know. Terms, like, you know fodder for people to talk about um but um you know are there then you know is it a case of people again essentially what you're saying is getting you know the the good nutrients in you know getting some fiber in um getting some phytonutrients in is it a case of just that or are there cases where it is more severe and and what's what's the case with that because so so many people now are kind of sorry i'm asking a million questions here and so many people you know are are now talking about their digestion and how it's you know affecting their health and all of those things so i guess what i what i I guess what I want people to be able to decipher from listening to this is, right, well, is it a case of me just adding in some more fiber um, and making sure I'm getting those phytonutrients in? Or is my case a bit more severe? And and if so, then what, what are those next steps? Yeah. So I think there's a, there's a few things um, to pick up on with that. Uh, I don't think that saturated fat is necessarily the devil, but I think it's perhaps um, like everything in moderation. And if you know that you're having a meal particularly high in saturated fat, I think that adding in or having it with plenty of um, plants that have a lot of fiber and a lot of phytonutrients are going to take the edge off of that. Um, I think, you know, there was the recent thing about coconut oil being the devil. Somebody said that. And the first thing that thought I, that came to my mind was, well, because it's about 80% saturated fat, it's going to be um, opening up the gut barrier. So, you know, that's, that's causing an inflammation. Um, and if you're having coconut oil by the spoonful all the time, yeah, it could be a problem. Um, I think everyone's set point is going to be slightly different. And it's going to depend what else is going on in your life. Um, but I do think that this is something that's missed when people talk about saturated fat. Um, because what we find is when you eat saturated fat, it's um, opening up the gut barrier and it facilitates the bits of bacteria going through. But at the same time, it seems to um, 
the, as the bits of bacteria go through the gut, it seems to pick up a lot more fat and send a lot more flat fat into the bloodstream. It's a very unique mechanism in our digestion that's only starting to be unraveled. Um, so I think it, it could be worth thinking about how much and also thinking about the frequency. Um, I've got friends who uh, in their practice with clients and, and patients have found that people who've got very bad digestive problems and general sort of feelings of, of malaise and, and unwell have actually, when nothing else has worked, they've tried all the different diets, removing things, adding things, actually just changing their meal frequency to consolidate um, the same number of calories, not talking about reducing calories, but the same number of calories, but consolidating them into three meals without snacks, making those meals really balanced, getting all the things that you need into them. That has actually helped a lot of their downstream problems more than the other approaches that they've tried. So I think it's gaining momentum. I just wrote an article about this uh, scientific article in the suburb saying that, you know, this has to start to translate to some kind of dietetic approach to particularly at-risk people. But, you know, people who do believe that leaky gut is underlying their conditions, I'd say that leaky gut is not the cause, it's a, it's a symptom of what else is going on. Um, and there's ways that you can manage it. The other thing that I think is important to mention in this regard is it, your diet is only as good as your microbiome um, because a lot of the food that we eat, it, we rely on the microbiome to break it down. So when I mentioned that fiber is one of the things that is tightening up the gut barrier, it's because the bacteria in our gut digest that for us and produce things called short chain fatty acids. And our, um, the cells that line our gut, these use the short chain fatty acids to renew themselves, to tighten up the, the junctions between them and keep the integrity there. So if your microbiome has been impacted in any way, then your body just might find that whole process harder. Even things like um, phytonutrients. So we know all the polyphenols and things that, that also help uh, protect the gut barrier. A lot of them, we rely on the microbiome to break them down and produce metabolites that then are having these good effects. So it's, you know, by eating a good diet, you can certainly nourish your microbiome, but you can't often backtrack for certain things that might have happened in your life that have impacted your microbiome. So, you know, as a child, if you had uh, a lot of antibiotics, for example, or these kind of things, certain medications and... And so someone in, in that, in that someone who has had a lot of antibiotics, what what's then your suggestion for them moving forward so it's, it's a permanent change is what you're saying if I don't think I think it's different for everyone uh what we, what we know is so say if you took a room full of 10 people and you gave them all a course of antibiotics and then you were to look at the end of the course maybe three months later maybe a year later and sort of follow them and see how they all recovered from the antibiotics you'd probably find that out of those 10 people it's totally random how everyone responded so some people might have antibiotics and their microbiome recovers and it's it's identical to as it was before and other people you might find a year after treatment their microbiome still hasn't gone back to the pre-antibiotic state. And we don't really know why that is. It's uh, probably everyone's coming from a different starting point. But I think this is what makes the field of um, 
taking probiotics and it's quite muddy waters because we're only starting to chip away at uh, what what we need to have a healthy microbiome um so if you i mean I, so I, I was diagnosed as celiac um quite a few years ago but it meant in my childhood i was always getting sick and i was always being given antibiotics so my microbiome definitely took uh hits when i was younger and you know there's certain things that that's out with my control but the best thing i can do now is just to make sure i'm eating a variety of you know good sources of fiber and plant-based foods and um some people get really good results from a probiotic. And I'd say if you find something you think is working for you, then go for it. It's very difficult to unpick uh, how someone might respond to different um, antibiotics that are on the market. Sorry, probiotics that are on the market. Yeah, I found um, there's two, um, there's one, one and, uh, pro antibiotic, probiotic. Um, so confusing, all of these words. I know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a prescript assist, and I found that to be um, a really good one. It was a soil-based one, but again, with the with the probiotics, your body can get um, quite used to them, can't they? Um, and become a little less responsive. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the soil-based are pretty good. I think one of the sort of things that um, people assume about probiotics is that they you know you take them and the, those bugs are setting up residents in your um in your intestine and what we actually find is that they're generally only having a transient effect while you're taking them that doesn't mean that they're not beneficial i think there was a, a, a headline the other week about probiotics are useless <laughs> something oh, did really? you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, but when you actually dig into the study they were just saying that the the bacteria are going through your system having a transient effect and then moving on their way and when you stop taking the probiotic generally you no longer have any benefit because the bacteria don't stay take up residence which is not necessarily a bad thing because a lot of these bacteria that's what they're doing the bacteria on on foods that we eat um things like the fermented foods a lot of those lactobacilli they're they're um just passing through doing some Benefit or beneficial work and then moving on yeah because for me with probiotics I'll only ever take them if I feel like you know everything's not flowing in the right way and then I, yeah and then exactly. I'll just base it on kind of like oh you know do I feel like I need it right now and, and currently I, I don't um but then if I feel like you know things aren't kind of flowing that, that I'll probably do like a, a month maybe and then carry and then kind of carry on but I in my own head listening to you talk about that I had never thought that I always thought that they were sort of like a bit of a boost rather than a contribution towards long-term change do you know what I mean um but um so interesting though I mean it's it's such a huge field isn't it and and you're in the depths of it which is so cool I know I <laughs> I get too lost sometimes in ideas I'm like there's not enough time to I know to, <laughs> to research all of it um and so so uh, so far what you're saying is um getting um fiber and um a lot of plant-based foods into your diet um also maybe reducing that meal frequency oh yeah so so now obviously we're we're coming into winter the days are getting shorter does that still count that you're kind of you know, eating in those daylight hours, albeit less now in the day. 
um, than would be the case for summer. That's that's an interesting point, especially thinking about the um, the circadian rhythm. Um, and I think that's something that now the field is sort of moving on to explore. Like if it's, should we shorten our window to reflect the daylight hours? And what about those parts of the world where they have consistent daylight hours? I'm not sure that we know exactly. Um, what I do find in terms of... Um, circadian rhythm and even things like the microbiome um having a consistent routine like waking and eating at the same time these seem to be quite important cues for the body so perhaps that's more important than um changing when the daylight hours change just having this sort of consistency um because we know that the immune system shows quite a strong circadian rhythm as well so there's quite profound changes that happen during the hours of darkness versus the daylight hours. And they contain, a lot of the immune cells contain the same uh, uh, clock genes, they're called. So the genes that set up the circadian rhythm in the whole body. So it's all kind of tied together. I feel like you can't, it's just telling us that we can't um, outrun our evolution. Like we've evolved to uh, respond to the sunlight and um, yeah. We, we can't escape that no matter how many like devices and try. <laughs> hours of daylight and you know that jazz I know I was in um, Iceland um uh when was it I think it was maybe two years ago now and uh, it was in July or August and um we, I was on a I was on a shoot there with Nike and um we got to utilize all of the daylight hours. Which at that time, was just like so many. And then I remember, like when we wrapped uh, the day that we wrapped, we went to we ended up going to this kind of like spa, oh, and uh, we we were it was kind of um, maybe one or two in the morning when we fit when we finished, and we were just kind of walking home. We we're like, this is so weird. Like it just yeah. seems like it's dusky but it's the middle of the night it was crazy it was really like oh did you feel like it was a little bit um like disorientating like a jet lag kind of to be I think the, the shooting days anywhere are always long days so I generally feel tired but um it just it was a bit weird and and I I was just kind of thinking you know it would be weird to you know to live here all the time and and for that to be your your summer but uh more so winter time when there's hardly any daylight at all and I know that obviously um that affects a lot of a lot of people there and in uh, countries where they've got kind of shorter um daylight hours but you know so that so the long summer hours wouldn't be as bad as a, a tiny two to three hour window in the day where you've got light like that's depressing yeah <laughs> yeah definitely okay and then moving on to um the immune system and exercise can you talk a little bit about that yeah so I had this time spent in Switzerland where I was looking at diet and I was like you know it's all it all makes sense and obviously we know diet is important for the immune system but it always felt like there was another piece of the puzzle missing and it became clear that you know thinking about boosting your immune system something that I get asked all the time I, I, to be honest, I think diet is not necessarily the first place that I would look. Um, and that sort of led me to the other areas of lifestyle that I think are really important for the immune system and that being movement. 
stress and sleep. And this is sort of brings me to where I am now in terms of my career that I've, I've started to broaden my uh, research into those areas as well. Um, and I think exercise is a, is a really interesting one. I think for me, the first thing I think about in terms of moving the body is the lymphatics. So the vessels that uh, carry our immune cells all around the body. So sort of like our circulatory system, but it's like the forgotten cousin. Nobody really thinks about the lymphatics. Um, and it's it, it doesn't have the heart to pump it like the blood. So the blood is, is being actively pumped by the heart. Uh, the lymphatics is completely dependent on um, movement. Uh, and so I think that moving the body, having the, the lymph fluid flowing around the body, which is carrying all your immune cells and allowing them to seed all the different tissues where they can carry out, um, their function. So a, a lot of the time they're just uh, having a surveillance role in the body, checking for things being underward and something going wrong. I think any kind of movement is um, one of the best things that we can do for our body. Uh, but the other aspect of, of exercise and the immune system, I think, is, is as we age. And this is perhaps not something that everyone's thinking about. I've developed a bit of an obsession with like thinking about longevity yeah. <laughs> in recent as times. We get older, all of a sudden we're like, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but what what is true is that... Uh, so the thymus gland, this gland in our in our chest, is where our T cells are made. So T cells are the master controllers of the immune response. Um, they're very prominent uh, in pretty much all uh, immune reactions that are taking place, and they're very important both as like uh, mounting an immune response, but also in terms of regulating when the immune response goes wrong. So we really need those T cells. We need them to be really a healthy population, and from around age twenty our bodies go through this process called thymic involution. So that means your thymus is, is shrinking and its function is declining. And I was really surprised when I read that oh. happens at age 20. I was thinking, you know, geez, like that, you know, it's, it's like a sharp decline. Uh, and you know, sharp decline. Yeah, you're okay. losing these T cells. But interestingly, what we know is that muscles, when we're working our skeletal muscles and we're moving our body, they're producing um, particular things we call myokines, so communication molecules that signal to the thymus to slow down this process. So they looked at um, cyclists who are regular cyclists in their 70s, and they compared them to 20-something sedentary um population. And they found that the, the cyclists in their 70s who are really active cy uh, cyclists and always active their whole life, their um, thymus and their T-cell function and their T-cell number was so much better than those of the sedentary 20-somethings. And I think it's just, you know, for me, I was like, that's, you know, just keep keeping your body moving whether it's, you know, being a 70 year old cyclist or just getting out and having regular walks, um, it's going to use those skeletal muscles. It's going to, um, keep, uh, you know, nourishing the thymus gland and helping it to produce fresh, healthy T cells. And those T cells are less likely to malfunction. So as we age, things malfunction. So if you have a, 
an old population of T cells swimming around your body, they're more likely to go wrong. They're more likely to start attacking your own body and therefore become autoimmune, or they're more likely to respond to things they shouldn't that are actually harmless. So um, creating allergies, for example. So to me, I think this was something really, it's really important um, to think about in terms of aging and something to think about from when you're young, you know, that this doing something now, just keeping a certain level of exercise now can then go on. And so with, let's say, young kids now maybe playing computer games or whatever. So when they get to 20, could we, would they have the same level of kind of, um, I guess, optimum T cells as a, an active child or you know I, th- I think that's something that we don't know yet perhaps they haven't looked uh in childhood if you come from a different starting point if you've you know if uh, for example population of children that have always been very sedentary if they're already um the starting point is already different that they're already got a compromised thymic function and potentially that affects their pool of t-cells um but i think that's an interesting question to ask yeah i was just just because obviously that's becoming you know more and more of an issue and and yes you know trying to get younger people active and yeah kind of away from screens and so on um you know i sort of wanted like as you were just saying like you know 20 is the age at which it starts to decline unless we are um moving and that that can be something as simple as as walking and I always talk about walking just being like um it's so underrated yes yeah uh, definitely so so good for you. and it's so simple to do you know a lot of people are intimidated by going to the gym or lifting weights or you know all of those things but actually it can start with um just just taking a walk daily which is so good on so many different levels uh whether it's mentally whether it's getting out into a green space all of that good stuff um, but it's very, very simple to effectively, you know, make sure that you're continuing to produce those those T cells. And so interesting that that, su- that, that study um, of the 70 year old cyclists and um, that their their count was better than the 20 yes. year olds. That's like I know it's really <laughs> impressive. Yeah, I always think of my parents. I'm like, now they've just recently retired. I'm like, you've got to keep moving. You know, yeah, like, for sure. Get sort of activities in your life, and I I think a constant level of of movement is is better than you know being sedentary and thinking you have to like uh you know completely destroy yourself in a one hour gym session in the the evening or something like that it's just keeping a general level of movement throughout the day yeah there's um there's a lady um you heard of katie bowman yes yeah uh yeah and she's she's all about that isn't she like you know continually kind of moving using our bodies for exactly for, for movement and what they're designed for for sure like I definitely do a lot more work now on the laptop than I used to I used to be kind of more active up and about doing kind of full-time PT and now I'm kind of um, behind the screen a bit more and I definitely feel it I definitely feel the difference. Oh I know me too I mean I love um, I've always loved sport and exercise and um, I feel like now I'm at a stage I should be you know a member of like a really nice gym it's all like you know new equipment they give you fluffy towels yeah. I haven't got time to go because I, know, I have right? a full-time <laughs> job and two kids and I just would never go so for me it's all about the incidental exercise like I cycled to work um I you know um 
up at the university a lot and I just use the gym there and it's full of students and yeah it doesn't matter it's it's really like old and and crumbling but it it's you know it works does the job yeah, it's exactly. you know I fit it in when I can yeah we can't afford to be snobs about it now yeah so exactly every day my kids are like mommy are you feeling strong and uh, oh, that's sweet. their sort of cue to see if I can lift them both up up and carry them up the stairs. Oh, really? bed. So you have girls or boys? Or, I have or one of each. Uh, one oh, of lovely. Each. Yeah. yeah. So this is their little thing. They want me to pick them both up and still manage to run up the stairs. With them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that um, that was uh, that was another thing that um, Katie Bowman spoke about. Um, was just that I think when I think she kind of after she had her, I think she's just got the one, but maybe she's got two. Um, you know, she was like, why am I exhausted just carrying my baby? This is crazy. Like whether it was going for a long walk or whatever. And she was like, I need to be, a, she said she felt almost embarrassed that she wasn't able to, um, to do that. And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, that's just kind of, again, it's not lifting, you know, shifting tin at the gym. It's like just getting around day-to-day stuff. So I must, I must um, go back and read some more of her stuff, but it's, uh, but I like that very, very <laughs> cute. Are you feeling strong, mommy? I always I say know. to Bjorn, like, there's going to be, you know, one day where all of a sudden us having wrestles isn't going to work out so well. Yeah. So I'm going to be like, oh, no, I'm too old for this. <laughs> I know, we went, we went out for lunch recently and um, my little girl, she's obsessed with being strong. It's her like, she loves superheroes and and you know those little superhero costumes that have got the muscles kind of yes yes, she loves wearing those and we were sitting having lunch in this in this cafe and she just dropped to the ground and she was like look mommy she started like um, banging out some press-ups I was like oh my goodness (laughs) she's like mommy I'm strong and I think it's because she sees like me and my husband just randomly doing this around the house like if we've just been sitting for a while we will just get up and like do stupid stuff like do 10 push-ups just because and I, I I think it's yeah it's good because I guess it gets kids sort of away from the idea you can quite easily indoctrinate them into being sedentary uh, especially when you're busy and you're like just watch tv I've got stuff to do um and so uh, it's you know it's good to they sort of they um learn what they live don't they so yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and just letting them play as well like in letting them, i mean bjorn's imagination is ridiculous sometimes oh. i'm like if i can live inside your head for insane <laughs> oh <laughs> but, um, but yeah just letting them yeah just do their thing anyway and on that since um we're talking about kiddies um how do you how do you balance all of that like you've got twins you've got flipping kick-ass job where you're like saving the world with your knowledge um how is that as a mama I often get asked I like to throw it in when I can yeah I think it's it's been a process and I'm still learning and adapting and I also feel like at this age kids change so quickly that you keep having to like rewrite your plan of action because everything's changed again and um their needs are different you're like oh I've got this I've totally nailed this (laughs) They change, like, Damn it. <laughs> yeah I have to say the the first year of being a mum was really hard because I I was just working so much and so uh, into my job and really enjoyed my work and then I decided to take a step back and the company I was working for were like we'll give you 14 weeks maternity and I was like that's not enough 
Because where were you? So you were you still in Switzerland at the time? Yes, yes. Yeah, so my okay, kids were born and so in Switzerland. Is a lot less, is it? Yeah, I don't know if it was wow, just okay. the company. It was an American style, uh, okay. maybe. So yeah, that yeah. could have. They basically give you two days in the states. I think. Yeah, exactly. So, so more, yeah. yeah, so I I decided to just you know take a break and see how it goes, and um, but it was a real like shock to the system because I went from. I mean, I was living in Switzerland. I was like skiing, hiking, cycling, you know, going to the gym whenever I wanted, out with friends to suddenly pinned to the sofa all day, every day, breastfeeding these babies and not able to move. And, and I, not even in a sort of sense of, I want to get back into my pre-pregnancy genes, but I wanted to move my body. And even like getting outside with the, the, the buggy was just the challenge to get everything organized. My husband was traveling a lot at the time. So it was definitely just like a process of giving yourself time and recognizing that you're not the same as your, your body and your mind is not the same as it was before. Um, uh, but since going back to work, it's definitely a balance. Um, and some, I mean, I guess every day I do feel like, am I doing the right thing being a working mom? And I have to have very clear boundaries. So even if I've got more work to do in the day or a deadline, when I'm with my kids, I'm with the kids. And when they go to bed, then I have to switch the laptop on and, and yeah, work till and late. Do, and if I have yeah, to do yeah. that now and again, that's the sort of compromise I'm ready to take for the fact that I, I work. And yeah, but I think exercise keeps me sane, definitely. So one of the things I choose to do is to cycle to work. So it's about four and a half miles each way. And I do it rain or shine. I even did it in the snow this year because it's like, just like a headspace. It's like a moving meditation. I'm just, can't be on my phone, can't be writing things or on a computer. And the fresh air is so good for you. And I think just first thing in the morning to get moving, that sort of sets me up for the day. And then, and then presumably allows you then to kind of shut off your day when you're, when you're yes. coming back on the other yeah, side. Yeah, exactly. That rounds it off. I leave work behind, I'm on the bike, get my kids, then we're home and then we just do, do fun things together. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a constant challenge. It's not easy. You've got to find the little things um, that make it work and you've got to be ready to compromise I mean, I'm quite a planner and an organizer. And when things all go wrong, I'm like, ah, it's the end of the world. But you have to accept that when you look at the bigger picture, it's always going to be okay. So I kind of divide things into the macro, the big picture, and then the micro. So the the details of the day to day and the big picture is normally always okay. And you just have to write the storm of the little things that come up. Yeah, exactly. And I think I've always said to myself, like, you know, you, you just kind of, you know, spinning a million plates, one of them's always going to drop. And that's cool. As long as you're cool with one of them dropping, like something always gives, you know. Exactly. Actually, um, a, a friend of mine, she she and, and she listens to this podcast, so I'll know when she hears this because she's going to go, I know you were talking about me. Um, but she, um, I can't remember, she messaged me the other day and she just said, um, I think I, I think I just finished recording a podcast or something, and um, she's she's been um, part of a, a pilot course I've been I've been running for female coaches, and she said, she, "Oh, I would just you know love a day in the life of Joss, you know, recording podcasts, um, <laughs> you know, working on the coursework for the course, you know, distraction free." And I was like, 
distraction free. Like, did you really just actually associate those two <laughs> words with my life? <laughs> no my yeah. life is one big distraction and I'm doing that course at two o'clock in the morning when you know BJ and the boy are in bed and you know those are the out like <laughs> it ain't distraction free love no, and I exactly. did um yeah I, and you know all I think about is you know when I didn't have a little one and just all the time you had and da, 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 da. and I've only got one you've got two living hell um but yeah no it's all good and and just I think that pressure to just go well do you know what something's going to give and that's cool exactly I've got a bit better at, at creating boundaries with work because you know I get really excited about projects and ideas and things and then I just I can quite easily take on too many things and end up with too many fingers and too many pies. And sometimes I have to rein it in and think I'm not going to be able to get all this done in the time frame that's needed. And I won't be able to commit to every project as I want. So you have to really say some things are not for now and it's maybe going to come back later. And it's quite hard. I feel in the world of everything's being instantaneous, um, this just always seems like a momentum to be doing certain things. And it's hard to, uh, detach from that sometimes and just be like, it's okay to just, you know, have a day off and really do nothing. Yeah. Which feels weird. Cause you're like, eh. I remember yeah, um, exactly. I was feeling like quite overwhelmed a few weeks ago and, um, I messaged a friend of mine and I just said, right, you just have to just send me some words of encouragement. I don't need a call. I just like, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. Can you please just send me some positivity? And, uh, and she was just like, just take a day off or go for a walk. And I went for a walk for 90 minutes. Um, and it was just like, it actually, uh, BJ and Bjorn were out. They um, stayed overnight at a friend's. And um, it was just like, it was it was literally life-changing. Like, it was so, yeah. I left my phone at home. I took, we live um, on a res- on two reservoirs. So that's, uh, the, and one is a nature reserve. So I started walking around that and then the second one, um, sale there at the weekend so I just kind of sat at the cafe there just watched the the boats and then when I was ready I went back home and I was like oh my god like that was just 90 minutes but my god like that has I've been feeling overwhelmed for about three or four months now and it, it got to the point where I was kind of like not doing I just wasn't even like, you know, the boys were away. I was like, right, I'm going to get so much stuff done. And I just didn't. And that's when I was like, right, I've got all this time, but I have got no uh, willpower to even, you know, blink. So I need to do something. And then, so I did, you know, instead of trying to get through that to-do list, I went for a walk and then it was just so much better. Um, so, so much, but I haven't been for a walk since then, mind. I think that's a nice strategy because, uh, friends and family, they have a different perspective and they might be looking in on your situation and just seeing what, what you need in that moment. And you can't see it because you're really in the thick of it and it all just feels overwhelming, but taking that step back. And I always feel like untangling your mind without, doing something you know without doing the to-do list you sometimes have to reflect before you can go back to it it's really important yeah because you sometimes think doing the to-do list will ease the stress but in actual fact if the to- if the to-do list is stressing you <laughs> then you know so much that you actually don't even want to approach the to-do list that it's kind of like yeah okay you need to step back and 
Um, and she was, uh, what else did she say to me? She said, um, she said, time's an illusion anyway, you know, like it's just, and yeah. I was like, oh, I love that. So, um, <laughs> so good. Um, so, and then just to, just to, um, wrap up then, uh, Jenna, this has been so cool chatting with you and basically I, any, papers and research and anything that you produce I want you to send it to me please yeah yes <laughs> so of course about because... I know we've got so much that we could go into with the yeah. exercise thing but and, I think at the but, summit yeah. that would be a really good opportunity to expand on a lot because exercise and the immune system to me it's like um a double-edged sword you know we know it's good for you in a general sense and regular exercise throughout your life has a lot of benefits to the immune system but it can also go the other way and I think that's something that um yeah can be important that we can maybe pick up on more at the at the summit yeah no definitely I mean I I um that's kind of one of the biggest things I always try and push is that obviously you know kind of um high intensity interval training you know was really popular and to many extents uh you, you know still is massively obviously people kind of are starting to understand the benefits of strength training but it's still um you know a bit more of a like oh but what am I going to do I don't know how to lift the weight and gyms are gyms are you know intimidating spaces I was chatting to um somebody the other day you know even if I go into a gym that I haven't been to before um and I, I you know I've I've been in gyms all my life since I was kind of you know 16 whatever um you know you still then have to kind of find your way around without yeah. looking like the newbie yeah. you know what I mean you're trying to be <laughs> yeah, cool exactly. and figure out where everything is so yeah. you know and that, and I'm comfortable in gyms so then how does somebody feel who's yeah. never been in a gym before seeing whoever doing whatever exactly um, especially with the really intimidating like I think with strength training in particular that's something I really enjoy but I only really do it with I'm with a trainer or somebody because I just I don't feel confident uh on my own to do that um but yeah I think it's a real it's a real thing and I think sort of where my research has has been leading me recently is just the whole body composition uh and immunity so I think because obesity is a very prominent thing that is talked about a lot and in exercise, I'm sure you see the extremes of, of weights. Um, so the very underweight and the very overweight. And you also get the people in the middle who are not very uh, overtly of a, you know, abnormal weight, but they also might have problems with their immune system because it seems to be having the right combination of, of muscle and fat tissue is really, really important for um, your immune system health. Um, I don't know if you see that with people overtraining yeah, and getting 100%. sick a lot. Yeah, this is quite a big problem. And then everyone always thinks, what what can I take? What vitamins and minerals can I take? To? And I think you, you can't um, supplement to, to counteract overtraining. You have to rest um, and let the body recover properly. Yeah, there's a, you, you can't. And that, that's the thing that people always try and kind of put like, plasters over it and it's kind of like no you need to strip back and people don't want to do that because they think by slowing down then they're going to slow their results but in, in actual fact by continuing on until until then they get you know pushed over the edge and their body then forces them to shut down so um uh one of the guests laura actually she is she going to be there on your day i think she is going to be there on your day actually um and she she's on the panel and she actually was at a you know she's an incredible athlete 
um, but she was weightlifting um, and training with the GB squad. She was uh, training for the CrossFit regionals. She was driving up and down. She had, she was also working full time. Um, and then she got uh, swine flu and it oh just absolutely wiped her out for, I think, um, two or three months kind of in the beginning. And then she said it took her a year to to recover. And it's kind of like, you know, you'll go so far and then your body's like, okay, I'm now shutting you down. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to take over. Um, And uh, yeah, no, no, it's, uh, yeah. And that's, that's what I see. I see kind of, I see it more in uh, women than I do in men. Um, The overtraining uh, for sure, or certainly the people that I come into contact with. Um, And that would be maybe doing too many, um, high intensity interval training sessions uh, or, or maybe even just too much exercise without recovering um, because they sort of miss that recovery piece. And that that's one thing that I'm such a, a stickler for, which, which started kind of selfishly um, in the beginning because when I was, <clears throat> when I was competing, um, I was competing often against girls that were um, a lot younger than me. So I was like, right, well, you know, they just recover quicker. They do all of this stuff. If I want to be doing, if I want to be training twice, they need to be recovering harder than I am working out. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. So it started as a kind of a, a selfish um, thing in the beginning. Um, and then I started kind of giving some some talks on kind of health and longevity and training and sport. And um, it was just like recovery is just so important. Um, but, it, you know, all, all of, you know, all of these pieces, like even you saying um, – that actually, in terms of boosting the immune system, a lot of people will go to diet first. Uh, when in actual fact, you are looking at movement, stress, and and sleep. And that that for me is so interesting because I would have said, yeah, you know, diet first. But then now that I've made this new T cell discovery, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, then that changes everything. It's it's interesting. Exercise generally has a kind of anti-inflammatory effect, um, yes. which is a good thing in a way. Yeah. Even though people are desperate to boost their immune system, actually, you want to quench any kind yeah. of unruly inflammation, which can spring up just you know day to day with various things we do. I mean, we talked earlier about the gut as being a potential source of inflammation every yeah. time we eat. So exercise yes. is helping to quench that. Um, yeah all the time and yet then too much exercise can affect it so it's just always just exactly right, and the immune right system down. is uh, important in the repair of the body so we often think of it just as for defending from infection but it's repairing so you're tearing up your muscles you're causing an inflammation in your muscles that's the immune system working hard also when you exercise you're um, inducing a, a huge new uh, population of immune cells to come from your bone marrow. So these are the white blood cells and you, we see a huge spike in these cells and then they get distributed all around the, the body where they're, you know, keeping the surveillance function. So that's generally a good thing. But when you're doing that too much, you know, that's that's metabolically demanding on your body in addition to the demands that you're putting on by doing the exercise. And um, without adequate recovery you're never going to be able to to catch up i think sleep is really important for the immune system there's massive changes happen when we're sleeping and this all um adds into your recovery and i think if you're training a lot you might find you need more sleep to to counteract um just to be able to keep up with the training regime that you've you've taken what i think is quite interesting actually is people who 
train like an athlete, but they're not like people who are really into the gym, but they might have a full-time job. They might commute. They might have a lot of um, work stress. These things are really depleting on the immune system and uh, having such a relentless training schedule. I think it's really, that's really a challenge. Cause I have, um, I do, I online program for quite a few people and um, you know, sometimes if, if, you know, one of them's had like, a busy week or a stressful week They're like so sorry I have all of my sessions in you know work's been crazy I've had work dinners and I'm like yeah so you shouldn't be trying to train on top of that like yeah. <laughs> you're over the edge you actually did the right thing by not doing you know those sessions but the, you know they feel guilty that they're they're not staying on on top of it you know I, I um, do a lot of calisthenics at the moment and sort of what I've got into um sort of ad hoc when I can but even this week I had such a busy week uh we have all the students starting at the university and it was just crazy and yesterday I just went we do like an outdoor session uh, at the uni on a on a Thursday and I just said like I'm tired before we've even began but I need to go through the motions because I just want to get the fresh air and the movement but I'm not going to be trying to progress on you know the, the areas that I've been working with with the trainer on um I just knew I wasn't there physically or mentally and and that's fine and I think that's you still go you get the movement I felt good because I was outside in the fresh air for an hour and then I went back to my desk to like hammer out some more things I had to do and yeah I think you just you have to dial into your own your own day and your own week and how it's going um I think that's really important yeah Oh, Jenna, this has been so good. And I cannot wait to hear you speak again at the summit. Woo! I know. I'm really <laughs> excited to come. I've got loads of ideas and loads of things that um, hopefully it can bring up that um, maybe some th- things about the immune system that people are not so aware of. So Yeah, no, for sure. And you're, so you're, spe- you're speaking at the what we've called the Women's Health Clinic uh, with yeah. uh, Dr. Alita Mitra, who is uh, also Gyna Geek on uh, Instagram. And she, her, just her work and research has been amazing she's you're both so incredibly um professional and I just yeah it's just you know both of, of you it's just so awesome everything that you're doing so and um, where can be apart from coming to the summit on day two the yeah. 28th of October 2018 <laughs> please come and um, <laughs> um, where can people find you I guess I spend my time online on Instagram um when I get the chance so uh that's where I'm most active and twitter and what's your what's your handle and i think you need to spell it because i've already asked you how i pronounce it <laughs> <laughs> um, twitter is easy it's uh just at dr j mac m-a-c-c and instagram is my name so it's dr underscore jenna underscore machoki which is m-a-c-c-i-o-c-h-i and then i have a website as well which is just my name again dr jenna machoki with no space dot com. <laughs>